Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 207 of The Informed Catholic, episode 207. Before we begin, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It would be a great help. It would let all the podcast plat platforms, including uh, Spotify and Anchor, those are the ones I produce my podcast through, that people actually like and listen to it, and um, it would encourage me to keep doing these podcasts. So, now that we got that out of the way, let's be begin with the opening of the Advent prayer. We are now in the second week of Advent. We're in the second Sunday, and these are these are the readings for the for the liturgy of the second Sunday. So let's begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For sorrow has stricken you. I will save you. Fear not, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop do you heavens from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son, our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now let's begin the readings. Once more, these are the readings for the um, second Sunday of Advent. So, all right. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1, 5, 9, and to 11, uh, straight to 11. The reading from the Holy prophet of oh, the book of Isaiah. Comfort, give comfort to my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her service is at an end. Her guilt is expiated. Indeed, she has received from the hand of the Lord double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wasteland a highway for our God. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rugged land shall be made a plain and the rough country a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken Go up into a high mountain, Zion, herald of glad tidings. Cry out at the top of your voice, Jerusalem, herald of good news. Fear not to cry out and say to the city of Judah, Here is your God. Here, he, here comes with power the Lord God, who rules by his strong arm. Here is his reward with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he, fee he feeds his flock. In his arms, he gathers the limbs, carrying them in his bosom and leading the ooze with care. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. The responsorial psalm, it's uh, Psalm 85. 
And the response is, Lord, let us see your kindness and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God proclaims. The Lord, for he proclaims peace to his people. Near indeed is his salvation to those who fear him. Glory dwelling in our land. Lord, let us see your kindness and grant us your salvation. Kindness and truth shall meet. Justice and peace shall kiss. Truth shall spring out of the earth. And justice shall look down from heaven. Lord, let us see your kindness and grant us your salvation. The Lord himself will give his benefits. Our land shall yield its increase. Justice shall walk before him and prepare the way of his steps. Lord, let us see your kindness and grant us your salvation. Second reading is from the second letter of Peter. We await a new heaven and a new earth. Do not ignore, uh, I'm sorry, the second Peter is from chapter 3, verse 8 to 14. A reading from the second letter of St. Peter. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promises as some regard delay, but he is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a mighty roar, and the elements will be dissolved by fire, and the earth and everything done on it will be found out. Since everything is to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be conducting yourselves in holiness and devotion, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved in flames, and the elements melted by fire. But according to his promise, we await new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you await these things, be eager to be found without spot or blemish before him at peace. Alleluia, alleluia. It's uh, the alleluia antiphon is from the Gospel of Luke. Alleluia, alleluia. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Alleluia, alleluia. The readings, this gospel reading is from St. Mark, chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. A reading from the Holy Gospel of St. Mark, glory to you, O Lord. Make straight the path of the Lord. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. 
Jean was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, folks, uh, we're going to still read a little bit from the Lord by Romano Gardini. This is going to be, um, let's focus on, since we're heading straight into the Immaculate Conception, let's look at the chapter two, which is the mother of our Lord, the Blessed Mother. Anyone who would understand the nature of a tree should examine the earth that encloses its roots, the soil from which it saps, climbs into branch, blossoms and fruits. Similarly, to understand the person of Jesus Christ, one would do well to look to the soil that brought him forth, Mary, his mother. We are told that she was of royal descent. Every individual is in himself unique. His inherited or environmental traits are relevant only up to a certain point. They do not reach into the essence of his being, where he stands stripped and alone before himself and God. Here's why, and we wherefore cease to exist, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 28. Nevertheless, the ultimate greatness of every man, woman, and child, even the simplest, depends on the nobility of his nature. And this is due largely to his descent. Mary's response to the message of the angel was queenly. In that moment, she was confronted with something of unprecedented magnitude, something that excited a trust in God, reaching into darkness far beyond human comprehension. And she gave her answer simply, utterly, unconscious of the greatness of her act. A large measure of that greatness was certainly the heritage of her blood. From that instant until her death, Mary's destiny was shaped by, the by that of her child. This is soon evident in grief that steps between herself and her betrothed. In the journey to Bethlehem, the birth in danger and poverty, the sudden break from the protection of her home, and the flight into a strange country, were all the rigors of exile until at last she is permitted to return to Nazareth. It is not until much later, when her 12-year-old son remains behind in the temple to be found after an agony of seeking, that the divine otherness of that which stands at the center of her existence is revealed. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 50. To the certainly, to the certainly understandable reproach, Son, why hast thou done this to us? 
Behold, in sorrow thy father and I have been seeking thee. The boy replies, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? In that hour, Mary must have, been, must have begun to comprehend Simeon's prophecy, and thy own soul a sword shall pierce. Luke chapter 2 verse 35 For what but the sword of God can it mean when a child in such a moment answers his disturbed mother with an amazement? How is it that you sought me? We are not surprised to read further down the page and they did not understand the word that he spoke to them. Then directly, and his mother kept all these things carefully in her heart. Not understanding, she buries the words like precious seed within her. The incident is typical. The mother's vision is unequal to that of her son, but her heart, like chosen ground, is deep enough to sustain the highest tree. Eighteen years of silence follow, not a word in the sacred records, save that the boy went down with them and advanced in wisdom, years, and grace before God and men. Eighteen years of silence passing through this, their, uh, this heart. Yet, to the attentive ear, the silence of the gospel speaks powerfully. Deep, still, eventfulness, and enveloped in the silent love of the, ho of the holiest of mothers. Then Jesus leaves his home, to shoulder his mission. Still Mary is near him. At the wedding feast at Cana, for instance, with its last gesture of maternal direction and care. John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Later, disturbed by wild rumors circulating in Nazareth, Nazareth, she leaves everything and goes to him, stands fearfully outside the door. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. And 31 to 35. And at last, She's with him under, under the cross to the end. John chapter 19, verse 25. From the first hour to the last, Jesus' life is enfolded in the nearness of his mother. The strongest part of their relationship is her silence. Nevertheless, if we accept the words, of Je of, uh, words Jesus speaks to her simply as they arise from each situation, it seems almost invariably as if a cliffed gap between him and her. Take the incident in the temple of Jerusalem. He was, after all, only a child when he stayed behind without a word at a time when the city was overflowing with pilgrims of all nationalities and when not only accidents but every kind of violence violent was to be expected. Surely they had, a right, they had a right to ask why he had acted as he did. Yet his reply expresses only amazement. No wonder they fail to understand. It is the same with the wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. He is seated at table with the wedding party. Apparently poor people who haven't much to offer. They ran out of wine and everyone feels the growing embarrassment. Pleadingly, Mary turns to her son. They have no wine. But he replies only, What wouldst thou have me do, woman? My hour has not yet come. In other words, I must wait for my hour.
from minute to minute, I must obey the voice of my father. No other. Directly, he, d he does save the situation, but only because suddenly the unexpected, often instantaneous manner in which God's commands are made known to the prophets may help us to grasp what happens here. His hour has come. John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Another time, Mary comes down from Galilee to see him. Behold, thy mother and thy brethren are outside seeking thee. He answered, Who are my mother and my brethren? Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Mark chapter 3, verse 32 to 35. And though certainly he went out to her and received her with love, the words remain and we feel the shock of his reply and sense something of unspeakable remoteness in which he lived. Even his reply to the words, Blessed is the womb that bore thee, sometimes interrupted interpreted as an expression of nearness could also mean distance rather blessed are they who hear the word of god and keep it finally on Cal in, on calvary his mother under the cross thirsting for her for a word her heart crucified with him he says with a glance at john woman behold thy son and to john behold thy mother john chapter 19 26 to 27 Expression certainly of a dying son's solitude for his mother's future. Solicitude for his mother's future, excuse me. Solicitude for his mother's future. Yet her heart must have twanged. Once again, she is directed away from him. Christ must face the fullness of his ultimate hour. Huge, terrible, all demanding, alone, must fulfill it from the riches of, of extreme isolation, utterly alone with the load of sin that he has shouldered before the justice of God. Everything that affected Jesus affected his mother, yet no intimate understanding existed between them. His life was hers, yet constantly escaped her. Scripture puts it clearly. He is the Holy One, promised by the angel a title full of the mystery and remoteness of God. Mary gave that holy burden everything, her heart, honor, flesh, and blood, all the wonderful strength of her love. In the beginning, she had contained it, but soon it outgrew her, mounting steadily higher and higher to the world of the divine beyond her reach. Here he had lived far removed from her, Certainly Mary did not comprehend the ultimate. How could she, a mortal, fathom the mystery of the living God? But she was capable of something which on earth is more than understanding, something possible only through that same divine power, which, when the hour has, has come, grants understanding. Faith, she believed, at a time when the fullest sense of the word probably no one believed. And blessed is she who has believed. If anything voices Mary's greatness is at this cry of her cousin Elizabeth. Mary believed blindly and again and again she had to conform that belief, confirm that belief. And each time with more difficulty, 
Her faith was greater and more heroic than that of any other human being. Involuntarily, we call to mind Abraham and the sudden terrible sublimity of his sublimity of his faith. But more was demanded of Mary than Abraham. For years she had to combat an only too natural confusion. Who was this holy one whom she, a mere girl, had borne? This great one this great one she had suckled and known in all his helplessness. Later she had to struggle against the pain of seeing him steadily outgrow her love, even purposely flee it to that realm of ineffable remoteness which she could not enter. Not only did she have to accept this, but to rejoice in it as in the, in the fulfillment of God's will, not understanding, never was she to lose heart, never to fall behind. Inwardly, she accompanied the, un, uh, the incomprehensible figure of her son, she accompanied the incomprehensible figure of her son every step of his journey. However, dark perseverance in faith, even on, in, on Calvary, this was Mary's in, 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 ineptable greatness, excuse me, inept, uh, in, in, ineptable greatness. And literally, every step the Lord took towards fulfillment of his godly destiny, Mary followed in bare faith, comprehension came only with Pentecost. Then she understood all that she had so long reverently stored in her heart. It is this heroic faith which places her irrevocably at Christ's side in the work of redemption, not the miracles of Marianic legend. Legend may delight us with deep, gracious images, but we cannot build our lives on imagery, least of all, when the very foundations of our belief, uh, belief began to totter. What is demanded of us as of her is constant wrestling in fide with the mystery of God and with the evil resistance of the world. Our obligation is not, is not delightful poetry, but grinite faith more than ever in this age of absolutes in which the a mitigating spell is falling from all things, and naked op opposites clash everywhere. The purer we see and understand the figure of the Mother of God as she is recorded in the New Testament, the greater the gain for our Christian lives. Mary's vital depths supported the Lord throughout his life and death. Again and again, he left her behind to feel the blade of the sword. But each time... In the surge of faith, she caught up with him and enfolded him anew until at last he severed the very bond of sonship, appointing another, the man beside her under the cross, to take his place. On the highest, thinnest pinnacle of creation, Jesus stood alone, face to face with the justice of God. From the depth of her coagony on Golgotha, Mary, with a final bond of her faith, accepted this double separation and once again stood beside him. Indeed, blessed is she who has believed. Wow. I think that was beautiful. You have to admit it was beautiful. 
All right, I'll get back to you. I think that was a very, very beautiful text. I think it's something fantastic there. The way he meditated on his meditation open opening scene about Christ as the tree and look to the soil that birthed him. The beautiful soil, which is the Virgin Mary, that that gave him his humanity and his personality as a human being. The intimate relationship he dwelled upon, mother and son, and is is beautiful. You know how he he lingered. He lingered beautifully. It was almost like a musical note. You know, a, a beautiful lyric. Lyric. Um, it was just beautiful. It was a beautiful paintbrush. It was a beautiful meditation. Um, how he meditated on that beautiful queenly reply, as he called it, the when she responded to the angel, be, be it done to me according to thy word. It was queenly. And she was a queen. A beautiful queen. And he and, and that that basically made it more it, it invited it it invites you to meditate even more more on on her on on her her uh, majesty as a you know in a sense that God picked her reached out you know reached out and how God in a sense he says he heard Mary's response to the message of of the angel was queenly in that moment, she was confronted with something of un, unprecedented, unprecedented magnitude, something that ex, uh, excited a, tr uh, a trust in God, reaching out into a darkness far beyond human comprehension. And she gave her answer simply, utterly unconscious of the greatness of her act. A large measure of that greatness came certainly from the heritage of her blood, the bloodline of David. And, you know, it, I think that's beautiful. And from that instant until her death, Mary's destiny was shaped by that, that of her child. This is soon evident in the grief that steps between herself and her betrothed, Joseph, in the journey to Bethlehem, the birth in danger and poverty, the sudden break from the protection of her home and the flight to a strange country with all the rigors of exile until at last she is permitted to return to Nazareth. You know, it was an adventure. It was a, it was an, uh, it was a, a spiritual adventure and it was a long prayer. When you think about it, being, you know, having in the, being in the presence of the son of God is, is a prayer. Jesus Christ was one long prayer in her life when you think about it you know it's it's fantastic and when you go from there to um you know it's just you know amazing how he how he meditates on it you know it's interesting like when he talks about the finding in the temple you know when they lost him for 3 days you know Son, why has thou done this to us? 
Behold, in sorrow thy father and I had been seeking thee. The, the boy replies, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? In that hour, Mary must have begun to comprehend Simeon's prophecy. And thy own soul a sword shall pierce. For what, for what but the sword of God can it mean when a child in such a moment answers his disturbed mother with an amazed, how is it that you sought me? You know, at that moment, yeah, it, it shocked her. It was a shock. It's a shock to, um, in the meditation, you know, they lost him and they, who knows what, you know, we're not given a lot of detail. Much of it is left to our imagination, but we're not given a lot of detail, but we can see the shock. We can see it and maybe who knows. She definitely pondered on it. She kept it in her heart. What does this, what does this mean? Did she think about Simeon's words? Did anything in the prophecy reach out to her mind, her and Joseph? What did they discuss? Did, you know, what, what, you know, who knows what St. Joseph and her in that conversation with each other when they were alone? Did Jesus hear them talk? Were they talking to some relatives? Was her, was her parents still alive? Was Joseph's parents still alive? Did they discuss this among themselves? It's a, you know, that's a good question to ask and we'll never know, but we can only, we can only basically, it definitely makes us think about it, to, to ponder it, to meditate on it. You know, did she, how often did she think about it? Did she ask her son, what did you mean when you said that to, to us? What, what did it mean? You must be about your father's business. Did she ask him that question? Did Mary went and, and sought someone's answer? Was, was Elizabeth still alive? Did she speak to Elizabeth about this? Did she speak to her mother about this? It's a good question, but it's an amazing... I mean, that was a shocker. And then you had 18 years. We're not told what happened. And then suddenly one day, Joseph silently left the stage. Much of it is, we're not told, and we can only ponder about it. You know? I mean, we've all lost a father. I mean, there's some of us that definitely have lost a parent. I know I did. You know? They often say St. Joseph had a peaceful death. You know, my father died of uh, pancreatic cancer and I watched him die. There were a lot of relatives. Many of them were around us. And he was Muslim. He wasn't a Christian. So we can, I can relate in a sense that the tragedy of a parent that I can, I can talk about. You know, and I, you know, you can wonder, you ponder to yourself. We know that he wept in front of Lazarus' tomb. And we know he, he felt sorrow for the widow with her only son. 
when he remember that he stopped them the the funeral procession and he said young man rise and he rose from the dead you know, i'm sure he shocked everybody there by that and remembered the young girl the 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 um the man who came to him and said my little girl is dying and when he got there they told him they told the father that your girl has passed away and he said do not weep the little girl's but sleeping and he went in and he raised her from the dead she was dead and she did rise little girl rise and he must have felt sorrow we know he wept in front of Lazarus tomb that much we know we know so that death did strike his heart and we can say he he did definitely weep at the at the passing of saint joseph we know that when he went to the garden tomb he was anxious and he was troubled and he wept and he sweated blood the, that much we know that much we know and it, it's uh, you know these things are you know are things we can ponder definitely and we know we can get simple answers you know we can't know the full story but maybe part of it we can fill in by putting by relating it with our lives to in some extent it may, it doesn't fit the picture but we know he was human we know the word became flesh we will know that he was he is truly god and he's truly man and that's something we don't have to have doubt about and we know he was absolutely human and he was absolutely truly god and that's something we can relate to so god we can say understands what what it is to be human in jesus christ you know it, you know it, it it's you know it's something but it doesn't give us all the answers it gives us some of the answers and maybe a lot of it like i said we can fill it in when we contemplate and we relate to something in his life by maybe filling it in with with our with our lives to some extent what to our experiences it's not exact but we can definitely by focusing on um the basics of what what of being human you know <sighs> You know, it's um, he had sympathy for poor people. You know, when he saw the crowds, and he he had sympathy and compassion for them. They were hungry, and they were a shepherd. They were sheep without a shepherd, and he he wanted to feed them. You know, at the wedding at Cana. You know, that was a major event, and his mother interacted interceded and he answered her prayers he answered her request so he does you know there's human interaction there's a relationship between his mother now you wondered you asked yourself was that the only time that she ever asked him for something we don't know but we know it's not the only time that she asked him to do something. She, you know, when, when we know that, we don't know how he responded before. But that incident, we know that Mary cared about other people. And he was, he was moved by her concern for other people. 
that's something I think we can put, we can pinpoint, you know? And he, um, he had compassion on the leper. He healed the leper. If you can, you can make me clean. I will. And he was moved with pity. I will be clean. And he made the man pure whole again. He had compassion on the man with the withered arm. Right? He did. And he had compassion on the man who was possessed. And he had compassion on the Syrophoenician woman because her daughter was possessed. And he had compassion on the centurion who had a servant who was more of a son to him. And he told him, go home. Your servant is whole. So these are things we can definitely uh, meditate on. All right. So I'm going to end it here. And... um, Please subscribe and share to my podcast and uh, let's end it with a prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you, folks, and God bless.